the digital transition. Digital Transition, a podcast series created to assist those tasked with implementing digital strategies, where we will share our knowledge and experiences to support you in your transition. Welcome to the Digital Transition podcast number 13. I'm your host, Nathan Hildebrandt, and today I'm chatting with Maria Chiozzi about the research she's undertaken over the last three years developing her PhD. The PhD is focused on understanding BIM implementation at a project level in Australia, and the contractual challenges that, that prevent collaboration within an industry. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, Maria. My pleasure. Thank you for the invite, Nathan. Firstly, Maria, for those that aren't aware of who you are, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, I'm a building engineering, graduated with a master in construction management at the Polytechnic of Milan in Italy, and I recently started uh, the junior consultant role in PCSG, a digital consulting for the built environment based in the UK and here in Australia. I am currently finalizing my PhD at the Queensland University of Technology in Brisbane in the field of BIM and procurement. So my interest in BIM started almost year, seven years ago when I began working at the Polytechnic of Milan in Italy on a national research project which aimed was to develop a digital platform to allow public client organizations to manage their project in a shared environment with all the project stakeholders. Uh, the project was funded by the Italian Ministry of Development with many industry partners like um, Autodesk and SAP. So one of the main activities that I was involved with was the creation of a classification and codification system to gather and organize information about product, works, space, activity, resources, in order to reduce ambiguity and problems related to data information transmission. Another piece of work was to identify all the attributes needed to specific um, object category. Um, and so in addition to IFC and COBI, and create some standard template for each category of construction project. Um, so the aim was to have whole data in the same place, allow comparison, statistic, simplify decision making. And also I worked to create uh, um, the definition of a user interface requirement for the BIM database prototype, including the BIM library, BIM server, and tenant management. During this uh, period, I also provide uh, scientific support to the activity of the UNI, which is the Italian Organization for Standardization, working group on the development of the Italian BIM standard UNI 11337 that was published in 2017. In particular, I work on part one on model, document and information object for product and process, and part two, codification criteria for construction product, works, activity and resource. After working in Italy, I started to shift my focus more on procurement and contract. And so because I started questioning more about how we can achieve efficient uh, flow of data and information if the contract and the procurement model that we use doesn't actually support this level of collaboration. So I came across uh, Alliance in Contracting, Integrated Project Delivery and Lean Management and everything started to make much more sense. So I moved to Australia in 2011 when I received a scholarship here, the QT, and the work to try to answer this question. So there's something I didn't know about you till today, but you and Marzia, well, Pagnia, went to the same 
university? Yes. So um, she did a PhD at uh, the Polytechnic of yeah. Milan. Yeah. So she started when I actually left to move here in Australia. Yeah. But I, I know Marzia and she was working with uh, Professor Angelo Ciribini. So, so it's, it's a pro- very good group. So it's producing a lot of uh, talented BIM experts at ta- that university. Yeah, I think so. All around the world. That's, ex- that's, ex- the that's exciting to hear. So you've been busy over the last few years completing your PhD. Yeah. And I guess you, you, you kind of briefly touched on a little bit about in terms of your interests that, you, that, you, that you've been touching on there, but with, with regards to yourself. Can you share with us a little bit about the key topics of your research? My PhD uh, focuses on understanding beam implementation at the project level in Australia and the contractor and challenge that prevent collaboration in the industry. So I saw that often BIM was uh, understood more as a technology and less as a process to support decision making. And there was not really integrating in the procurement strategy. So why might be used on a single organization to improve their own performance? Still, there is a lack of a cohesive approach to create and share, manage information in a more holistic way across uh, the whole project life cycle to improve the overall project performance. During my PhD, I had the great opportunity to interview a high level of uh, uh, experts, including senior manager, BIM or digital engineering director, lawyer, across government, consulting firm, construction firm in Australia and New Zealand. And in parallel, I investigate on the approach uh, used in the uh, United States uh, in um, called integrated project delivery. And in UK, I was interested on the recent uh, project uh, that used a new procurement uh, form, which was uh, integrated project insurance. And I was trying to understand how we could uh, learn from them and apply here in Australia. So in the United States and Canada are countries that are leading on collaborative contracting, which is uh, IPD, which is actually come from Alliance in Australia. And they also use uh, integrated with BIM and Link Construction. By looking at the IPD, I, um, I approach the concept of Lean, which is very rooted in the IPD process. This is uh, why IPD is also uh, often called Lean Project uh, um, Delivery System. So as part of your introduction, you talked about um, starting a new junior consultant role with PCSG. Uh, Can you share with the listeners some of the details on your role and what you'll be performing on a day-to-day basis with them? Yes, so I joined PCSG as a junior consultant and a PhD intern a few weeks ago. PCSG is a digital consulting for the built environment with clients around UK and Australia. Mark Bew is the chairman of the firm and for many years was the chairman of the Digital Built Britain program. So what attract me uh, about PCSG is the way they approach to do things, focus on creating uh, um, outcome. So it's much more less technical and much more um, strategic. So focus on understanding and help client to understand what they are trying to achieve and what they propose uh, behind what they're trying to achieve. At the moment, I work alongside my team on developing uh, strategy, business case, um, target uh, target, uh, state, um, roadmap um, to bring an organization from where they are now to where they want to be. Now, moving on to your research, and I think that's where a lot of the value and your knowledge would come from right now in terms of having you talking as uh, as part of the, uh, the people that I'm interviewing as part of this podcast series. Now, through a number of surveys that I've been part of with the ACA and the AIA, you know, I can struggle and I can see the architectural profession in Australia is at a lot of various stages in their BIM implementation within their practices. Through all the research that you've done, where do you think industry is up to in Australia? I think that um, within the Australian market, there are many consultants as well as contractors. They have uh, 
already internal BIM standard and framework in place for their own advantage without the client necessarily requiring them to do so. And they are also educating their subconsulting or subcontractor um, that they appoint to, to become, to help them to become more capable. So whether an engineering or an architector or contractor, you can start accumulating some benefit by just having adopting BIM internally. However, I think this is approach, uh, it's very self-driven by individual organization, which utilize BIM and information management to the risk and optimize their own work. So this benefit can potentially multiply when you start to apply this on project level, when information are shared among different organizations and different disciplines. If we look at the project level, it's also very difficult to measure whether BIM projects succeed or not and the level of industry capability, unless there is a demand. At the project, we have to start with the client as a demand organization, right, from, from, a, lean, from a lean perspective. So we need to know uh, what they are demanding, and so the supply chain will be able to improve their ability to deliver uh, what is being demanded. So clients, I think they need to be educated about what they need and the value they want to add. So they are trying what they are trying to achieve. So asking questions if they are trying to achieve better um, concrete engineering or if they try to speed up the process of the uh, trying to get a model to the for the asset management purpose. So then we will be able to measure if the team, the supply chain are able actually to deliver against these uses. So if there, are, if there is no defined purpose to start with, there are not defined deliverable uh, and there are not defined requirements. So it's very difficult to measure whether a BIM uh, project succeed or not, or if the supply chain is capable of not. One of the things that I think that was interesting in your last comment was in regards to each individual business having their own way of doing things. Hmm. What's the importance of uh, clients potentially following standards so that they're not creating these new bespoke systems that essentially, you know, they're standard for their own standard's sake and, and you know, moving industry forward, that's a, obviously a lot of effort that's going to be required for consulting firms that have built their own internal standards to now actually adapt to, you know, international standards that are now released. Is, it, that, is that an important thing? As I, as I mentioned before, I think the client, uh, it's play a fundamental role. And um, it's, it's a lack now that um, the client doesn't know how to actually uh, manage a BIM, a BIM process. So following international standard can be a guidance for them as well. But what was uh, interesting also for my study, so we have two type of view. So from one side, is whether the client is ready to clearly specify the requirement and follow specific standard. For the other side, is actually if the industry is ready to provide the information required by the client. So what I mean by that? So in one hand, I have people that was told me about um, showing the frustration among um, inability of client to clearly address their BIM requirement or also um, have this uh, Blake statement saying we want BIM or we want BIM with ISO 96050, uh, but not be very able to discuss uh, what it actually mean in terms of deliverable rule and responsibility. So without a clear scoping, there is a great chance that the client can uh, get under deliver or over deliver model 
and, and that is uh, one of the big issues. So this approach can be incredible honors for clients in terms of collected data for the sake of data without having a mindful consideration of what they actually need and what and they are willing to pay for. From another perspective, so there was also um, an issue whether the industry is ready to provide the handover deliverable and information required by the client. So there are a few sophisticated clients that are start to understand uh, the value of data driving process and they are demanding data for the asset lifecycle and operational strategy. So they publish tender now that um, which the beam requirement and information deliverable and I'm very rich and I'm very specific. But um, under this scenario, I have many people told me that they are not uh, sure that uh, there is um, a sufficient level of understanding and skill in industry. It's the possibility is that we start to have clients um, that um, asking for specific information. But designer and contractor do, will not understand exactly how much work they need to put uh, to, um, to, to, to deliver this type of information. In particular, for the type of information that are usually untypical provide at the, this, um, at the specific project stage, but usually typically on handover. And, uh, and so depending which degree we are using BIM, if it's not only on space level design or coordination, or when we move from modeling to information, that's, it's become much more complex. As part of your research, you would have spent a lot of time talking to people that are at the cutting edge mm-hmm. in terms of people that do have an understanding because normally, you know, we go and attend conferences and, or events and, and it's normally the people that have the same beliefs or the same kind of, or they already understand what's going on or they're somewhat along the journey. As part of your research, did you get to communicate or, or interview people that are well and truly far away from that experience right now in terms of their experiences are very limited? No, um, I need to admit that for my research, I have much more focus with people that have a high level of experiences yeah. on BIM and uh, digital engineering. Yes. Yeah, so it's all at that bleeding There is edge a gap. Yeah. yeah. You know, 5 to 10% of industry and yeah. then the remaining uh, are sitting behind that gap, which they're too scared to jump over, which yeah. hopefully now um, we'll see that people are willing to jump over because of the fact that the state government here in Queensland, New South Wales, has some agency-based um, requirements and in Victoria they have um, requirements as well. Yeah. Do you think from your research and the comments and questions you are having, and, and it's, it, I could kind of pick, pick an answer maybe out of what you just said, do you actually believe that there's currently enough capacity of BIM-capable organisations in Australia that will actually meet the BIM deliverable requirements of the state governments that, the, that they actually have within their current policies? So if you think about the Queensland policy, it's now uh, focused on projects that are up to uh, over uh, to, sorry, uh, 50 uh, million. So we, we are talking about relatively big project. And, um, and so in this, in this range, yes, I think there are capability, especially for the uh, tier one consulting. And they are the capability to um, learn and to make their subconsulting uh, capable as well. So this is one of the, um, of the main points. 
One of the areas I think that's also worthwhile thinking about, though, and this is where I think the policy is right in talking about that $50 million starting point, and I think the consulting teams at that level are well and truly ready for it. But my main concern actually is at the contractor level and the subcontractor level, and well, more, more so if we even go even further, is the manufacturers. So the difference is going to be at the completion of these projects at handover, they're going to be handing over or needing to hand over a maintenance manual but also a database of information that they never would have had to have done before so if the deliverable becomes kobe the first project the manufacturer actually will need to sit down and all the products that they've provided as part of that project they'll need to provide all that kobe related data mm-hmm. or any additional information properties that the client may require to maintain that asset mm-hmm. so that's where i actually think the biggest challenges within mm-hmm. industry um, and that's why i think Every time I sit down with manufacturers these days, I'm like, well, do you know this is coming? Do you, do you actually supply products for the state government? Because what's going to happen is the, subcontract, the contractor is going to go to the subcontractor. Yeah. The subcontractor is going to go to the manufacturer and the product suppliers and say, oh, guys, I need to provide this information. Not longer is a, a PDF the only thing I'm going to need to provide as a, as, a, as a document to explain what this product is. I'm going to need to provide information in this format which is going to be quite scary and unique for yeah. the first project that they take on. So that's where I think the challenges are going to lie. But I don't know, is, is, is your research touch on that at all or is it, or am, I, or am I going too far? Going back also to the question you did before, it's also very relating the capability. I think it's very relating also in which area we are working in. I think that infrastructure sector it's much more advanced than the building sector on BIM and uh, digital engineering. Also because the government is ma- pushing much more from the uh, infrastructure side. So for backing your question, um, I didn't look in, in that detail. What I was looking more, it was about the procurement that we use uh, uh, and how this type of procurement can actually improve the level of collaboration that we need to sharing this type of information. Because we know that there is always a claim that BIM has the potential to affect the entire project life cycle, uh, allowing high level of collaboration, which member of different uh, expertise can provide input, create and sharing model, but in all these beautiful things, but in the reality, I think the most contract hardly encourage the level of integration and collaboration needed. So in the way that contracts are built, there is a huge gap between design, contractor, subcontractor, and this is representing a big misses piece on a lot of knowledge and information lost. Another important aspect that I realize is actually related to the risk and liability. So to date, uh, one of the main challenges that people face with the effective use of the model and information embedded in the model is related to the validation of this information. The process should provide the right to really on the data transmitted. So what in reality happened that I received from many of the people that I interview, there are often a number of disclaimers that are used uh, by the consulting or the engineering firm when transmitting the model to be a solve an eligibility of error or omission in their digital data once the model is not anymore in the control. So by stating that there is no guarantee that the model is accurate, uh, the transmitting party doesn't not create any value actually to a receiving party. 
so the model needs to be created again from, from scratch. I think that consultants use PDF and feel safe. There is a point in time where everything is a capture and it's a moment of capture, create also the contractual boundary where everyone is feel uh, comfortable. But this is actually um, stopping a massive amount of efficiency in delivering assets and sharing information in the supply chain. And the same happened also during the tender. So what is not unusual for a client to use this claim in their model and when they go to tender. Also, they don't want to have the risk of inaccurate and misinformation. So they use the model as information only, while the contract document legally uh, governing the work is still be a two-dimensional plan and specification. So I think that the model should be part of the contract document and qualify the data to be reused for the intent of which they have been created. And here it's where I think uh, the collaborative contracting environment can be helpful in optimize BIM and all these benefits. So I want to just say that when I say collaborative contracting, I actually means um, alliancing and IPD. So the type of contract that uh, people are sharing risk and reward, um, they are all under a no blame uh, culture and um, because it's the only scenario for BIM uh, where the information can flow without any bottleneck and creating value adding from one model to the other and reducing the amount of waste that it's creating in a different stage. Do you think, and this is my thinking on it, and maybe it's a primitive uh, Australian way of thinking mm-hmm. about it. In the past, uh, you know, architects and engineers all drew things by hand. Then they transitioned to CAD. Mm-hmm. And when they transitioned to CAD, they still said that a printed drawing was the only thing to work from and mm. then that you can't even uh, scale off that drawing that they've printed for you mm. and that you have to take use the dimensions. So it's a transition process in, in the sense that I know now that um, surveyors will set out a building based on a, a DWG issued to the builder, mm. a tender. The architects have been using AutoCAD for 20, 30 years. It took time for people to be open and accepting of that process or trusting that, that a builder would be able to set out based on that drawing. So I, I, fear or I feel that potentially the reason why a model at this point in time is not trusted or set there as that thing is because the client at the start of the project still hasn't stipulated what their information requirements were. So had a client sat down at the start of a project and invested in documenting information requirements, then at tender time that model could be treated accordingly and handed over to a, a contractor and, and advised, the, the contractor would then be advised, well, this is the architectural deliverable or the physical deliverable. This model here contains this information and you can rely on this information because this is the information that we expect to be in it. But anything else isn't actually in the model. So I, I feel that maybe the reason why there is the challenge that we face today is because of the fact that there never is a, a kind of a, a description or an explanation of what information is accurate in the model or what the information requirements were at the start to actually govern it. So I know that kind of turns all your research on its head and basically suggests that you know, you know a traditional procurement isn't dead <laughs> or isn't going to die, but it, it still has the benefits if the information is specified or documented in the tender package to say this is the information that can, is part of this 
should be part of this package and can be relied upon. This other stuff is not part of the model, but you need to make allowances for it. Is that an option before I ask you a more detailed question? I think that, um, as I say, the client need to be educated to identify the purpose. But it doesn't need to educate it at the specific technical level. This is can be a work that consulting can do for the client to identify exactly what are the requirements that is needed. But you also need to look at the, pro, at the construction project as an um, interaction of many, of many parties and can be also a very long project. So the problem is that we're still looking of working in our box without looking of what the other people need. So it's very hard to define what other people after you need if you if you don't talk with them. So for example, for consulting, it's very hard to understand what are the the requirements that a construction firm need. So for sure, like the standard, the ISO, they they provide um, a process to manage and exchange information where people can really on about, uh, really on by defining who, um, what, by, uh, by when, and who is responsible for the terminated type of information. But at the beginning of the project, it's always hard to understand exactly what be so specific on what are the requirements that on, on construction or on, on other subconsultants will need. So this is why I think that uh, um, traditional procurement we need to actually move very far from that. There is, there is another issue, uh, Nathan, that um, I think people are very afraid uh, to, to trust on the job that the other people are doing. So they don't want to share the risk with another party because they, they think, you know, if I'm doing a good work, why I should be accountable for the work that, that someone else does. What actually collaborative contracting doing and alliancing is actually put everyone at the same level because they share same risk and same reward. So everyone is at the same level and everyone have the same voice on the table. Yeah, that's what's scared of. <laughs> well, but that's it. Yeah. That is actually, it's actually pretty different because what I... So I, I analyze um, many different type of procurement now. And if we yeah. look on other type of procurement like DNC, which is there is an early involvement of the contractor or, or the early contractor involvement. Yes. I actually discovered that this doesn't necessarily improve collaboration because the, the consulting firm is still um, feel themselves not at the same level of the contractor. They try yeah. to push the authority. And so instead of everyone working uh, for the same goal and challenging innovation, there is always one party that has much more weight on the other one. So this can be a scenario that everyone then look for their own interest instead of the interest of the project. But when we are talking of alliancing or IPD or the UK Integrated Project Insurance, we are talking of an, a single and a virtual organization to, and trust on the other people working. And usually when this type of procurement um, start with uh, is a qualification based in selection. So you joined um, the tender with your team and with the other organization that you are already work with. So you know how they work with you. People are select based not just the individual performance, but how they perform with the, the whole team. And there is a lot of work that is done during this uh, uh, procurement to improve the level of collaboration and trust between parties. I can't see the disadvantage. I wasn't saying it was a disadvantage. It was just more about uh, one of the things I always struggled with in my career 
uh, working on architectural projects is sometimes, you know, because of the way the market works, in particular on government-funded projects where the, the first past the post, so it's always lowest tender wins, right? Yeah. And when you have scenarios like that, it doesn't play nice and the other challenges that are going to occur uh, will be trying to convince, you know, agencies that this is a methodology that's actually going to be in the best interest for a project and the best interest of the project has a couple of levels. It has two levels, right? So the first thing is the project itself and the stakeholders around that. Mm -hmm. But then the second one is the taxpayer. Yeah. So that's that's always going to be the conflict. It's going to be the seesaw effect to try and find where the balance can lie behind a projecting methodology like that where it's not always going to be the lowest cost. It's about it's about something that actually represents the best value for the stakeholders and the best value for the for the taxpayer, which I think is always going to have some sort of competing interest. And I agree that this is can happen under this scenario, but what actually is happening under IPD is that uh, um, you work to define together the the. Um, uh, target costs. So you work as a team to define the, what is uh, going to be the cost of the project and you work with the client. So for example, because you work with the client, if the client have not exactly and a clear purpose uh, of what they're trying to achieve, you are on a team and everyone is aligned on the project scope and the project goal. So if you think about so the problem that we can have on lowest uh, price uh, tender or having a lump sum uh, fixed price is actually we don't improve, we don't innovate because people are not encouraged or stimulate to try to find a new idea. Most of the time, if someone is on the fixed price, they are signed to delivery A and then they are only doing A. So there is not much that can be done to deliver B, C or D, even if tests can be the better Option. So, as I said, people now are getting paid to stay in box and they make sure that they perform on their box. And so under this uh, scenario, it's very hard to realize the best outcome also for the client. You noted in your introduction that as part of your um, PhD, you investigated lean construction as part of your research. Now, for a lot of people in the industry, um, this would be really new terminology and it's not about skinny buildings. It's, it's a little bit more than that. Mm-hmm. And I know it comes from, you know, the Toyota mm. way of thinking. And, and then once again, I remember having a, a management meeting about a couple of years ago trying to explain to people what the Toyota way was and that still kind of was foreign to people. So can you explain to the listeners, and I think this is an important part of this this podcast in a sense, that even though it's a small part of it, but just so that people can get an understanding of what lean construction is and, and why people would be looking to embrace lean processes. It's hard to really um, define what lean is. But before to answering what is lean construction, I want to give you an overview of what lean is and the main principle. So the yeah, that term, might be easier. Yeah, starting from the history. So the term lean was introduced actually for the Western world by a member of the MIT International Motor Vehicle Program. And it was to describe the new paradigm that was called Toyota production system. That was challenging the America system of mass production by using less of everything. So there was little capital, material, space, time. So, and their answer was to focus in flow efficiency, produce only what it's been ordered. So Toyota in this way learned to the importance of really know what the customer want. So the customer represent their end. What does the customer want? When the customer want the product and what amount 
uh, does the customer want. So they create what is called just-in-time, which is about creating flow in production by eliminating all inventory and only pro uh, producing what the customer desire. And... Um, And, the, and, and they develop, develop um, the built-in quality process in which all operators are allowed to stop the entire production line uh, as soon as there is a problem or defect in the product is uh, detected, which is, means discover what is happening, stop, fix immediately the problem and investigate and correct the route, which is very different from keeping the line working and then at the end try to fix it. For me, Lean is uh, an operational um, strategy to continue to improve uh, flow efficiency, which is very well described in a book uh, called This is Lean, uh, written by Nichols Modig. Lean had two main goals. Minimize the process waste, so identify what is the waste, which are all the activities that require resource um, in order to be complete, but create no value from the, cal uh, from the client uh, point of view and improve the volume generation from the client. So if we look at the conventional approach to construction and project management, the project is often broken down into a series of uh, stages, and we decide to take a decision to op optimize each stage to then optimize their overall process. What Lean does is actually challenge this approach. Lean focuses on what we call the system, which is uh, the uh, way that uh, Uh, the team operate as a wall. So Lean recognized that breaking down the project in separate stage and decision introduce actually much more value loss and waste as, because there is no uh, interconnection of stage and, de and decision. So they are not really taken full in account. So what is actually important to understand in the construction is, is that uh, all the stages are interconnected and interdependent and so emphasize on the importance of looking at the wall rather than individual stage. Another important lesson from Toyota is the company management commitment to continually invest in the people and promote the culture of continuous improvement. The essence of Toyota um, is that each individual employee is given the opportunity to find problems in his own way of working and to solve them and to make improvement. So they say that uh, one of the successful or lean thinking is uh, building people and then building product. So continuous improvement is Toyota basic approach of uh, doing um, business. And lean construction is the, adopt uh, is the adoption of the Toyota production system. But it's not just imitating the tools used by Toyota In a, in a particular manufacturing project, but is a developing principle that can be useful for the organization. Yeah. Now, one of the things I think that might be challenging for people in the first instance when they hear that process and, and the stages are, are, are essentially removed would be in and around the, the concepts that most of the time when you're building a building, it's a bespoke building every single time. So you may be doing similar trades, and you might be building walls that you built numerous times or you might be laying carpet, but the construction of that building is unique compared to a car where in the in Toyota sense they may have, you know, 100 different types of car by the time they have, you know, the different paint finishes, the different um, add-ons and stuff like that that they do out of the factory. And I guess the other critical factor being when you have 
a situation like um, where a build where a client needs to sign off on concept design, is it something that probably lean might not be so intensively used during a design phase, but more so in construction because I think construction is the areas where they've identified significant waste and and significant waste typically around time where people are. Uh, spending most of their time, you know, there's I think ten to twenty percent lost in Australia in time where they're where they're waiting for things to arrive. They haven't optimised their site usage, and they haven't, and they've ordered their, you know, the supply chain is ordering things at the wrong time. Is that where it's probably most beneficial to a client in the construction phase, or has someone actually come up with a solution to manage the challenges that you have during the design as well? Yes. So this is one of the Biggest issue because in construction, lean is often referred in to be used in the construction stage, yep. uh, and in particular using uh, um, technique uh, such as uh, the last planner system of collaborative planning, which is absolutely uh, a powerful tool uh, because help people to um, manage and create more uh, reliable uh, scheduling. So there was um, a project where I participated here in Australia. It was a construction project. And when we arrive um, at the project, we measure the percent of plan or the activity complete at the end of the week. And it was around 40%. And then we start to apply uh, the collaborative planning and it's in explain to them the importance of ma- making reliable commitment. So thinking of what you can really deliver during uh, um, each week. And then at the end of the day, look, if you deliver the activity or not, there is no half, it's yes or not. And, um, and then identify which was the root causes for not the activity being delivered. And so, and this is, was a big lesson learning for them, um, for we, we're still collecting information, but then we are uh, at the stage now that they pass through uh, 40% of activity be complete uh, um, in a week to um, 80, 85% of activity be complete. So definitely um, there are some tools uh, that can be applied in different stages of the project and it can be powerful. And, um, and there are many cases also in research that demonstrate the benefit. Because if you think also there is another important topic when it's come from Lean, people also always ask, um, what's the advantage of using Lean and digital engineering? You know? It's a way of thinking in something a little bit more intangible. And so it's hard to, to, to understand for people. But if, you, if, you, if we look at the Lean principle, you know, um, is the, what's the first one is the, the value for the, cl- the customer. The second one is stream mapping. The third one is establish the flow. The first is pool planning and the fifth is established perfection. So why we can't use this principle also to uh, manage all the information um, that came out from a BIM process? So what, what I actually did on my PhD, it was using this principle as a base for to manage all the information that come from, uh, um, that come from BIM. For example, uh, at the beginning of the project, with, uh, on the conception um, with client and designer. So why the idea is having focus on what's the, the value for the customer. So translating in BIM, it could be what is the purpose, um, what we are trying to achieve, what uses we want to get from, from BIM. So 
it's changing the conversation. And then we stream uh, the mapping. So we stream the information flow. We identify any step that not deliver value and we eliminate elimin that. We establish the flow. So we, what we do in this one, we actually describe which one um, are the information that need to be exchanged, by who, when, by and, and which kind of information. And then perform the pool planning and so on. One of the main things that this uh, brings the attention is this approach requiring to change the uh, perspective regarding who is the customer and how we can deliver the value to them. So if you think about in the, in the design, the customer is not only the, the end client, but it's who you end off your, uh, your work. For example, an architect. So it's um, needed to hand their design to the structural engineering. The structural engineering become their customer. And the architect needs to provide value not only to the client, but also to the structural engineering. And therefore, architect and structural engineering should address questions like what information or what is deliverable that needs to be end off. And, uh, um, and so determining how and when each early task should be accomplished to enable them to start working. So, yes, there are lean tools that, can, that now are much more focused on the construction phase. But the idea of lean, the concept of lean and lean principle are very much um, useful in along all the, the, the project delivery. It's, it's really changing the way we approach projects and the way we interact with the other people. So something that wouldn't even be just for construction, you could do it for event management. It's just an approach, yeah. approach to actually project managing and the delivery of anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's actually a new way of, it's a different uh, uh, project management system. So we, we focus at the, on, we, we start with the end in mind. So, and, and we go drawbacks. So what we need to do in order then to, to be sure that, for example, a milestone is achieved, we have the people that we need to talk with, which kind of information we need to have, need to have with them. And it's very different for the current uh, way that we manage project because now it's much more day by day. So we look at what's happening next, but we don't have a very big picture of what we need to achieve. Highway England showed that during the five-year period between 2010 and 2050, they achieve 100 million uh, pounds of saving from lean uh, intervention. And in the period of uh, 2015 and 2020, lean has a target of contribute of 2050 million of saving. Just a small one. Mm. So in terms of a last question, I guess to tie all this together, because for people listening right now, they're kind of going, this is an odd, unusual journey that we've gone on today as part of this discussion, but every PhD has an outcome. So we've gone through the journey of understanding the capabilities and, and what, what people are doing here in Australia right now. We've talked about the contractual challenges of, of how people you know, don't want to work together or they're, they're, they're struggling and pushing risk and alliancing is very important. And then approaching the delivery of projects from a lean perspective. So you've kind of gone on an interesting journey through your PhD to, to understand all of those three items and I'm assuming there'd be a lot more which we don't want to talk all day about. But what was the result? So in terms of the result, which isn't isn't finalised yet, it's, it's currently sitting there getting um, checked over. But the output you, you did kind of touch on in your introduction, but let's go through the, the proposed output that you've got as part of your PhD to close this one out. 
So I, what I define, it was um, a BIM-based uh, collaborative contracting f- framework, uh, um, which uh, define uh, the legal and procedural and uh, organization aspect. They need to be uh, considered under alliance and in integrate BIM and information management in within the, uh, the process using uh, lean principles and and tools. So this is was uh, the main outcome and it has been uh, validated um, with many um, experts and stakeholders in, uh, in the industry. Uh, but also there are um, a few recommendations that I, I wrote after all this journey. And, um, and as we mentioned uh, during our conversation, um, the, the first one is actually that if we want to achieve efficiency in project delivery, we need to achieve a high level of collaboration integration. So we need to pass through the uncomfortable feeling that many have uh, on trusting the other job and, uh, or embrace noble culture and start to perform as a unique team. And we need to move from fixed price contract and risk allocation because this is actually set the limits that we have in collaboration. And of course, embrace this new paradigm like lean and um, and how this can help us um, to um, have a big uh, picture and um, and improve uh, the project efficiency and how this can help us on a digital engineering space to have much more clear idea on how to define an information management, how being sure that we receive the data at the right time and from the right person and so on. I will be happy to show then the framework once it's um, it's finalized. Maria, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today, discuss the topics covered in your research and your PhD. So I have one final question for you, one that I've been asking all of my guests. Mm-hmm. What does BIM mean to you? All right. This is the this one. <laughs> no. So for me, BIM is a part of um, the digital revolution that is uh, changing the way we approach and manage project so far. So can be used as a driver for a change. Uh, for me, the main contribution of BIM is that uh, it brought awareness of having quality of data and an efficient information management process in place. Uh, and this is, can bring value in any phase of the asset, uh, in planning, in the design phases, construction phases, and especially in the um, operation and maintenance. What, uh, but what technology and innovation is actually moving very fast. It will get even very faster in a year's come. So I think that an organization to stay competitive need to have a transformation set in agenda and not a transformation on in agenda uh, and be able to embrace this is uh, continuous change and the change needs to be an intrinsic part of uh, this organizational culture, which is uh, aligned with what is a, an aligned organization. So the lean organization is the one that continues improving the process. Thanks once again, Maria, for your time. For more information on Maria and the topics we discussed today, please head to our website and find the links to the various documents that we discussed today for further reading. I look forward to sharing our next podcast in a fortnight's time. Until then, good luck with your digital transition. For more information, or if you'd like to continue the discussion in the comments section, head over to our website, thedigitaltransition.com. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss out on our future podcasts.
digital transition.